Welcome everybody to the Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett, and on today's episode, we interview the amazing Mr. Christian from Theo and Harris. Now, they are famous for selling high-end watches, and I'm not talking about your $100, your $200, your $500 watches. This is your Rolex, your Hublots, anything with a tourbillon. These guys are amazing. They do it all through social media. They really don't do any paid advertising, which is what I hit them up about and say, hey, if you're gonna do paid advertising, maybe you should speak to me, just like you guys should as well. But we dive into that with them, find out how they did that, how they went about it, how do they grow it. So if you're someone who's got a physical product or you're just curious as to how can you build a brand and awareness around your brand so that when you drop products for sale, whether it's a $10,000 or $20,000 or $50,000 watch, how can you have the right audience there ready to buy? So if you wanna find out about that, let's jump into today's show and have a look. Christian Gibbs, thank you so much for joining us, my man. Really appreciate you making the time. No, thank you for, uh, for having me on all across the world. Yeah, no, my pleasure. I'm very interested to have a chat with you today, but I always like to start off with, uh, Christian, if I met you at a party and we were just chatting away and then I said, Christian, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? My go-to answer is actually not a truthful answer. I, I, always, I always pick, um, like as if I invented a, a major, major company. Like, for example, I think a lot of the time I use, I, I invented Google Images. I tell people that a lot because if I told you my real job, you would say, oh, okay, so that's okay. And they'd walk away. You saw watches, weird. So obviously they know that I'm kidding when I say something like that. Uh, and then they just brush over the whole occupation job. Well, obviously being an entrepreneur, anything you say either sounds a little bit pretentious or, or, you know, or unimpressive. So I think making up a little joke eases attention and we all move on so yeah i kind of like it because to me if you said you sell watches because you don't just sell watches you sell exactly. like, pretty cool watches right exactly so if you say you sell watches you know whether i'm talking to a woman or a gentleman you're going to say they're gonna think of like a guy with watches in his trench coat you know in the city not really what i'm going for and then if i explain it too much then it's it's obnoxious so <laughs> you know what let me just say i invented uber and they'll they'll laugh and we'll move on. Well, now, but because you're here, I want to know. What, give me the obnoxious version. I want to know yeah, the insides here. So, uh, so I own a company called Theo and Harris. Theo and Harris is in the luxury uh, space, particularly in watches, and we are both retail and advertisement. That's how we generate our revenue. So we, we started off as a, as, a, as a retail business exclusively. Started off with you know inexpensive watches. I had ten thousand bucks and I bought as much as I could, even though in the watch game ten thousand bucks isn't a lot at all. I we built up that ten thousand into a few million dollars, and then we built up an infrastructure to sell ad services to major watch companies. So that's the that's the larger you know version of the story. So you say like, give us some of the brand names of the watches that you have. And then I've got to ask you another question on that. You can tell me that yeah, first. we basically sold like everything. We, obviously Rolex, we're really Rolex heavy, Audemars Piguet, Cartier. We sold a lot of Patek Philippe in many instances. We've sold basically all the major, major brands. And what's the coolest watch? They might not be the most expensive. What's the coolest watch you've had? And you'd be like, this is like pretty stoked that we got this one to sell. Yeah. What's fun about, you know, buying and selling all these watches is, you know, one, I get to explore my, I'm personally very passionate about watches. So I get to explore my passion, you know, very easily, as opposed to if I was just a regular, regular dude. Two, I get to touch things that I 
otherwise never would have been able to touch. So for example, you know, Audemars Piguet has a very, very famous watch called the Royal Oak, right? And the Royal Oak, they, they start around 20,000 and the best, best ones, you know, are somewhere around 100,000. So I was very lucky to be able to own this $100,000 Audemars Piguet. It was called a, a Tourbillon, which is a, is a complication, you know, in, in the watch business. And I remember wearing this watch for, you know, two months and I got to like, I got to be someone totally different than me. Like that's the watch that you buy if, like, you know, if you're just this, whether whether you're whether you're in music or you just have to be a mogul. It's a mogul's watch, you know. Uh, and I and I'm not a mogul, so I got to play with that. It was just fun, you know. That's a lot of what I do on the retail end. Just tend to be or channel other people, you know. You're on the way to becoming a, a watch mogul for surely, yeah. right? Like you're the way that you're training. But the interesting thing to me is that like you're not just like when you say you do retail and you sell watches anyone that's listening, you don't just like have a little store that people come into, like you sell and like you, I think you sold some really cool watches and you use pretty much predominantly like online traffic, right? And you use YouTube and things like that to really sell them. Like how, how did that come about? And then what was like the first sale that you made coming through from, for an expensive watch from YouTube? Yeah. So, so selling watches on the internet, it wasn't, brand new but it was pretty new when we started i started it five years ago so when i started doing it there were only there were very very few players and it was it was it was only professional only people have been doing it for 20 years right so when i stepped on the scene i was 19 years old right and all my competitors are 30 to 65 and i remember saying like i gotta do something new i I have to like you know if i don't reinvent the wheel here as far as communication and customer acquisition then i am never going to be anything in this business so that's when i decided okay what do i have these competitors don't well they have better inventory than i do they have way more money than i do to give you a kind of a reference to own a vintage watch company most of my competitors have a few million dollars under management and they start from that from day one that's why it's usually a older man's game because what younger kid has a couple million dollars i know i certainly didn't getting into it was was the super uphill battle i said the only 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 asset that i have that these people don't is, is social media ability, right and it wasn't like i was practiced at it i just knew that i if i practiced i could get there So that's when I said, okay, let's start to really hit Instagram very heavily. Let's start to not just communicate through Instagram, communicate our inventory, but let's start to communicate a personality, a brand. That's something that our competitors weren't doing. They were posting their watches, but there was nothing more than that. You know, we we created an actual identity. You know, when you're creating an identity, there are always hiccups. You always make mistakes. I certainly, at certain points, I look back in the first year and I say, wow, that wasn't the identity I wanted. You know, we were very young and irreverent and kind of rude. And I regret that in many ways. But but that's part of building our brand, right? Building identity. You, You don't know. You're feeling it out. You're feeling out the market. So then after Instagram, we did YouTube. And once YouTube hit, the, the business entirely changed. Uh, that, that's where our skills lie. We're, we're digital content creators. We're, we're video, you know, video people. So YouTube gave us this amazing opportunity to grow. What was the first, like how a lot of times people are like, oh yeah, cool, I'm going to go onto a new platform and I'm going to make sales overnight. You know, I put my first video up, I'm going to pop off some sales. How long did it take you from when you started creating the digital content on YouTube? How long did it take you to then generate your first couple of leads or sales to come through? A long time. I mean, I can't even... I, I want to say maybe a hundred like media. We, and we worked really hard for them, but like a hundred videos maybe before, you know, we were, we started off with one video a week. Then we started, we ended up with five videos a week. We were, I, mean, in, I was in college and, and we were producing and releasing five videos a week on YouTube. So imagine how stressful that must've been, you know, making it worse to an audience of it's like zero. 
we had like 700 subscribers. So it wasn't even like anyone cared. We were releasing so much. So, so that was kind of, that was, that was just, that was just funny. I remember, you know, speaking to an empty room basically. And then there are a couple of, you know, key moments over the course of, you know, the next couple of quarters that you say, wow, that was, that was a game changer. That one video uh, got us an extra substantial group of people, an extra thousand subs, you know, incrementally. And when people say, you know, it doesn't happen and it happens all at once. That's kind of what it's like, uh, you know, and, and we haven't, well, my, my company is, you know, definitely big for a small business is certainly not this tremendous, you know, we're, you know, we're not a not hundred million dollar company, right? Speaking even from the small business perspective, it really doesn't happen quickly. Like, you know, even the, this little taste of success we've been able to have, I had to bleed for it, you know, like no doubt. You mentioned there's like some of the ones where you're like, cool, this, we did this video and then that correlated to a, what was one of those that where it just kind of like clicked and hit the marketplace yeah. obviously in the right spot? Here's a really good example. My dad's a big wine guy, big wine guy. He and I are pretty close, right? So I was on YouTube creating these videos about watches and, and I was just so happy doing it, right? And my dad never had the opportunity to speak about wine publicly. And I always wanted to give him that opportunity. I didn't know how. So then one day we're having a nice little glass of, you know, Spanish red in the backyard. Um, I was in college and I said, you know, what if you and I talked about wine on the, on the watch channel? What if, what if we, like I talked a little about watch, you talked a little about wine and we, we shared it. And he was like, that would make me so happy. Right? So I did that just to kind of make him happy. Little did I realize message that I was communicating to my audience was this is a family business that can be trusted, a family business that you can admire, a business you want to be a part of. And that really became so much of the bedrock of our company culture. You know, people, you know, people from all over, all over the world, not just like think that our information is useful or our content is good. They genuinely feel like, like a member of, of our little family. Little did I know that would be a huge turning point in the company. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I suppose as well, especially because you guys are dealing with luxury watches, right? Like there's a, quite a few people over in Australia and all over the world, I suppose, that have started Instagram, YouTube channels, and they sell watches, but they're, $99 type, $150, $200 watches, right? And you yeah. see them pop up on Kickstarter and stuff quite often. But obviously you're dealing with the high end. So you've got to somehow build that trust, right? With the audience being like, mm, I have a 19, 20, 21 year old kid that is selling me 2000 5000 $10,000 watch. There's, there's got to be some level of, of trust built in. So that's really interesting. So yeah, but it's, it's good to hear. And I think that everyone really needs to hear that. So we specialize in Facebook and Instagram paid advertising. And a lot of times clients come to us and they expect their first ad or the first video that they do is just going to take them to you know new heights. Like, oh, cool. obviously it's going to work straight away. It does take time and it's like time and time again. What have been some of the other things, like obviously from the terms of creating good content, creating trust and rapport with the audience, what have been some of the other things that have helped you grow? Because obviously now you're, I was just going through your Instagram before, you're about 75K on Instagram, quite a number of subscribers on YouTube. And I think like, because, and you guys get, is it a couple of million hits to the website every month now? Broke a million, a couple of, maybe a year, a year and a half ago on the website. We, we have a very balanced audience, which is something that I really, you know, wanted to have, right? Because once you, again, looking from my POV, once you start to have success on digital media, what happens a lot uh, that I see is an individual company says, okay, YouTube's our thing. Let's go all in, right? And then they can have 100,000, 200,000 subs on YouTube, whatever it might be. But, but really, they become YouTubers because their attention is only, you know, kind of on this one platform. So we said, okay, let's not just, you know, 
celebrate in our, you know, somewhat success in, in an individual platform, let's make sure that we have a balanced portfolio all over. So, so while some of our competitors have larger numbers on some of these individual mediums, we have a much larger overall presence digitally, period. So that was, you know, kind of the anti-conventional knowledge, anti-ego move, because the you know, conventional knowledge says let's just let's just become super like the biggest number in one individual place you know that makes me feel good but i was thinking more okay put my ego aside you know what is going to actually build the healthiest you know most evergreen you know, business period that's one of the big decisions that we made that, that i'm still very grateful for that's really cool of that traffic is most of that traffic still from like where does most of the traffic come through then to the website where's like what's the top I mean, we invest a lot. We invest a lot of money into SEO as well. So we generate a lot of leads just through just through you know Googling. We invest a lot of money into written content as well, which which we also publish to Instagram and YouTube. But you know, it's, it's a lot. And those written you know articles, all that time and money that goes into that, that you know, one individual article, one individual week doesn't really return you any actual growth. But the fact that we've been doing it for a year, for two years, the fact that, you know, ever, even the months where we really didn't have the cash, especially in the beginning, I, I said, wow, I'd rather put that money back in my pocket. We just said, you know what, what's what's $1,000, right? The company needs it, you know, we kind of do, but I guess we don't. Let's, let's just take a real, let's just take a shot, you know? So you trust the best information you had. And then, yeah, looking back, it is great to have, you know, 500 articles, you know, substantial articles, meaningful articles online, even though that wasn't our bread and butter. That was advice that I took from one of the people that, you know, is on our team and definitely glad we did that. And now you mentioned as well, obviously, you. so the two revenue streams you have is number one, selling the watches, but number two, now you've got like, you sell advertising space to watch companies oh, yeah. as well? Yeah, absolutely. How did the, how did that come about? Tell us a bit, yeah, a bit more about that. Well, well, the whole idea of building this presence online was just to sell watches. There was really nothing to do with that. That, that was all, you know, how do we sell more Rolex, period, end. And then very kind of early, semi-early into that content creation, when I saw the numbers go up, I said to myself, you know, looking at the, looking at the landscape, looking at our more mature competitors, I always looked way, way, way up market. I said, wow, what, what is the best case scenario for this business in five years? Right. And that was maybe a year and a half in. And that's, you know, and I remember doing it. It was so bizarre. It was so far away at the time. But I remember saying, we've got to you know, basically monetize this following uh, by doing, you know, larger partnerships because how many Rolexes can you sell? I mean, it, and it's just economies of scale too. I mean, it's increasingly difficult. You know, r- running, a, running a vintage watch company that does, let's say, you know, $3 million top line, radically different than running that same company at, at $5 million. And it, it, it sounds like it's just a logical progression. You just keep growing quarter over quarter, but it's really not. You have a supply chain problem. You know, you, if, if you're borrowing money, you have a financing problem. You have, there are a lot of larger issues. You have liability problems when it, comes to, when it comes to insurance. You know, you have a lot of, you know, problems as you get larger in this business. So diversifying into content creation, you know, in, you know serving digital, surging, uh, serving companies, our clients, that was a kind of a no-brainer decision. And little did I you know, realize that that decision would have ultimately been our biggest, biggest differentiator. Our content is different than our competitors, and we're super grateful for that. But ultimately, our business structure was, is, was and is so far ahead and more mature of, our, of a lot of our competitors. There are one or two you know, North Stars that we admire and look up to, and they're larger than we are. And, and I 
steal as, as from them as often as I can. But barring the extreme outliers, we just have the most mature infrastructure, period. End. How did you develop this? Because I think that a lot of people listen to this and thinking this guy for, for a young guy very articulate very switched on very knowledgeable how did you like obviously and you said that there's been hurdles along the way how did you go about growing this what was the uh, was there mentorship was there people that you looked to for advice and feedback to help you along the way or how did it all how did the, uh, the whole growth go it's a really good question and that that's a question that is easier to answer, you know, over a play of scotch at two in the morning, right? Because you're looking back and you're saying, well, okay, I know where they did this, but how did that even happen? And so the best advice that I could, a couple of mentors, people that I look up to that I really started off as clients. I'd say I have one, you know, mentor that is, is a client that has never sent me a bill for his mentorship, that, that we have, you know, dinner quarterly in the city or, or down where he's based, an entrepreneur much more successful than myself that I look up to very much. So yes, it, it is, I am grateful to have someone that can give some advice. That being said, you know, the real point of differentiation there, what gave me as the leader of the company, the edge, what, and, and it's really a bad thing. It's something that I'm not actually not even proud of in most respects is I spend all of my energy literally just blueprinting the company, virtually nothing else, right? I don't, I don't work as much as anyone else in the company. Right. Everyone else that works, the company works, works physically more on building it than I do. I oversee it, or more importantly, I direct it. That's it. So when you were that CEO or whatever, I never use that phrase. It sounds like such a big, big role. It's, I don't like it. But when you're in that position, when you are the director is what I call it, your most important job is to make sure that you're digging in the right direction and getting there, you know, quickly and most efficiently, not that you're necessarily in the hole. That's how I feel. And, and I know people that are way, way smarter than I am that, that are in that hole where, they're, where their team should be and, you know, most of the time. And, and they don't make, they miss out on some of the key opportunities to jump ahead very quickly and differentiate. And they, they don't see through the, you know, through the woods sometimes, whereas I just do. Not because I'm smarter, just because I'm the kind of guy that really takes a step back constantly and says, I'm going to go clear my mind and I'm going to plan this. I'm not going to help you. I'm going to plan this. Call me when you're done. One, one question, and this is just more of a selfish curiosity question. So I'm a big fan of getting things without paying for them. And what I mean by that is I like to do deals like contra deals, swaps, things like that. that I, and I do that a lot. So for the last year, I've driven around Range Rover. That was not mine. I didn't own it, but I did a marketing swap with someone. So I said, cool, I need a car. You need marketing. Let's do a deal. So I, so I was wow, able to- Wow, you got to teach me because I would love to have a Range Rover for a year. Well, man, you've got, you've probably got more leverageability in that space than me. So like, I can show you that. That's it. That's an easy one. But, you know, because, because people were, I said, cool, like they need marketing funnels, ads, things like that. I can do all of that. And then I was like, well, you have a car. Let's just swap, right? So it's a pure service swap, if you will. I, the reason why I mentioned that, and just curious, do you think in the space of luxury watches, that would something like that would be possible? Because I know that there's like a lot of the smaller brands use influencer marketing and things like that. But in the space of luxury watches, and just purely for my own curiosity, because I'm like this, like when, as soon as I got the email about having you on the podcast, I was like, I've got to ask this guy. I was like, I wonder if there's a way for me to be able to get a luxury watch without technically like transacting cash for one in some yeah, way, shape, or form in the world. Of course. I mean, the only you know, the only scenario in which that's really you know not not possible is if the dealer himself 
himself isn't the, not a real dealer, but if they're all memo watches, they don't actually take inventory, which a lot of our competitors don't. It's a very cash intensive business. They don't actually have the money to lay out for watches. But now if you actually, you know, own the watches and you own your inventory, like, like we do, you know, usually in those scenarios, you know, the biggest snag for me is when, and obviously like, I, like you can imagine we get these pitches all the time. Hey, give me a free watch. It's just, a, like, instead of asking, just like, tell me why that's a good decision. Like, like mm. that's it. And I hear so many, Oh, I'm, I'm an influencer. I have 50,000 followers. Great. I don't give a fuck how many followers you have. Just tell me what you're going to do. Like that's, that's the last note that I need. Give me your tactics. Tell me you're taking this seriously. So I'm not sending a watch to some, you know, schmuck in Seattle that couldn't care less once he gets it. That's the biggest difference. Sure. You know that you know, just as well as I do, but, uh, but yeah, of course you get a free watch. Of course you do. <laughs> like, of course, you know, that's an important point there because a lot of people see like, and I, I tell people this all the time. And literally, I do it for so many things, just uh, just for fun to see if I can. So like, we had to get new blinds in our house and new office fit out, all that sort of stuff, and all of that we've we've done via a deal like that. But people have wow, to, amazing. yeah. So, but the people, people, if you guys are listening, what Christian just said is like, you have to lead with the value you're going to give because no one cares if you have. Even if you said, cool, I have 10 million followers, I don't care. But it's like, cool, I'm going to do specifically this, which is going to drive people to you. And that's going to help you achieve your goal, which is obviously, you're not just doing this for fun. It's like, cool, you need more awareness, more leads, more sales as a business owner, right? Yeah, I I see it all the time. You know, people that are just bad salespeople, you know, Mm. it's like, I'm just constantly surrounded by people who don't know how to sell anything, you know? And, and, And that's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being a bad salesperson if your job isn't sales. Right. Speaking to so many people like I do on a regular basis and, and they're pitching me and I'm pitching them, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I'm just so amazed by how these people have like never worked on their craft. You know what I mean? Like, it's amazing to me. And so when I get pitches from people like, you know, like, hey, I have 68,000 followers. Like, I get this many impressions. I'm like, we both know that can be purchased. Like, we both know that you can lie to me about that. That's not that's not interesting. You know, tell me how you see this. Tell me what you can do and show me you're serious. And yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 so many people, I mean, I put people that I barely know on retainer if I genuinely believe that they're, they're one, they're competent, but competency isn't everything. It's that you're reliable, that you're actually going to do it, right? There are plenty of scumbags that are very good at things. It doesn't mean they're going to actually do them for you. You know what I mean? Like, it's a big thing. So it's a lot of trust. You know, especially when you're dealing in, 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 you know, items that are expensive, you know, watches are, are so expensive. So that's, that's, you know, a big thing as well. But yeah, you could totally get a watch. Especially if it was on loan for a year, you can get it from so many companies. So many companies out there would, would beg to send a watch to someone with, with, with some sort of an influence. And if you're actually delivering services, then it wouldn't be a loan. You could actually just get it for free, you know, period end. Yeah, exactly. And that's cool. So I'm going to put my pitch together and I'll send it to you after this podcast. Yeah. Now, I'm always just curious because those things, and, but it's funny as you, again, as you say that, because I think a lot of people, they see, in, especially speak from their showing landscape, like influence and influences are growing more and more here and, and, and everywhere really. But some companies, I think, like they'll jump on the bandwagon too quickly, if that makes sense. And they'll be like, oh, cool, yeah, we need to get influencers on. But they don't track that. They're like, oh, yeah, cool, they had this many followers. But they don't go, well, yeah. what's the tangible return? Because then for me, as someone who works in paid ads, it's like my return, I'm like I track fully is just return. It's like, cool, I need to track the return on investment, the return on ad spend. And then everyone's like, oh, we got these 10 influencers to come to this party. And then we gave them this, this, and this. I'm like, cool. So what happened? Right, what happened? Oh, I don't know. What happened? Like, oh, we, we didn't track it. I'm like, oh. Like, great. Yeah. One of the, one of the, what is you it? Know, 
biggest you know edges we have when I go into a one of these you know ad meetings when they're putting the well, when I when I lay it forth right when I lay it down here are your options right you know here are the competitors here's the landscape we all know the big boys right and I always like I said I always talk up market you know I never associate our company with companies our equal size never just I just don't do that right because why would I do that right? let's, just, let's just go up boy. let's pretend as if let's pretend as if we're thirty percent bigger than we are and and the numbers don't lie but you're going to associate with us you know so anyway big you know the, edges we have is say, well, have they ever sold anything? I know that they write, like they, they're journalists, they write things, right? But are they actually, do they actually know how to sell your product, right? The only way that I eat is if I sell, that's it. It's the only way that I actually make money. I'm not a journalist. I'm a salesperson that will use any means necessary to move this product, right? So, so you don't compare us to a couple of, no, no, no offense to journalists, but don't compare us to journalists. Because it's two different things. Journalism is a tactic, right? That's it. You know, so so that's you know that's one of the big, that's one of the big kind of conversations that, that I force in those meetings, and it's 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 one hundred percent true. You know. The last question I always like to ask people, and it's the same every time, and I got asked it once on a podcast, and I just loved it, so I took it. I was like, I've got to ask this question, which is, what's one question that I didn't ask you that I should have? Where are you failing tremendously? Where, 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 where are you failing? That's it. Like any entrepreneur can't answer that question with like the like total, like I'm going to miss I don't know what the word vigor means. I was going to say vigor. I don't know what that means. Though. I, I'm going to misuse that word. But if they can't answer that, that, that question so confidently and almost with like anger, then they're, then they're unaware. They're totally unaware. So the answer to that question is uh, we, every, you know, every day that goes by, this is funny. I was actually talking about this when we get over every day that goes by that, that my company does not use, you know, the, paid ads specifically, not just to raise awareness, but specifically to move some evergreen products, not watches, but things like straps and leather goods, we're losing money 100% every single day. And the reason why we haven't actually done it is very simple. I find that, you know, everything you know, digital, when you bring in a consultant, it's like the modern day mechanic, right? And it really comes down to trust because I have no clue what you're talking about. And, and I, can, I can grasp it, but ultimately, if you want to confuse me and you, you can Right. So, so that's why we, we really don't, we really don't bring in ad consultants often or almost ever simply as a matter of trust. But that is a big, big failure on our end. Oh, well, man, you're speaking to the right guy. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll, yeah. Def- we'll definitely have to chat about that. But for anyone that, anyone that's listening to this, I've, I've liked your story. I want to find out more about Theo and Harris. What's the best place for them to, to connect with you and find out more? Yeah, if, if, if you're interested in watches, buying them, learning more about them, go over to theoandharris.com. Our website's full with, with vintage watches. But if you're not going to buy a watch today, and I don't blame you, they're very expensive and it's a lot to learn, just go to YouTube, right? YouTube is really where you can start to engage in this world, this world of luxury, world of watches. They are so much more interesting than you think. Believe me, I am the last person from like a geeky person. Never, it never was me, whether you're interested in design or mechanics or, or hand finishing and craftsmanship, there's so much to love. Awesome. We'll love that. So we'll link that up in the show notes, guys. And if you know anyone that's interested in vintage watches or anyone that is just interested in ha- hearing good conversations of entrepreneurs who's grown a business like that in the last couple of years, please make sure you share this episode with them as well. And Christian, good sir. Thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Cheers.